This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by Simply Liturgical Music. Simply Liturgical Music is the liturgical music platform that is reimagining the industry. Browse, purchase, and download brand new affordable music in minutes. Print or download as much as needed with lifetime access to all purchases. Whether it's psalms, hymns, mass settings, or other ritual music, SLM has music composed by a growing network of talented composers from all over the world. Ministry Monday listeners can receive $10 off Advent or Christmas music when using code YEAR C 2021. Again, that's YEAR C 2021. Explore our digital catalog at slmusic.org. Simply liturgical music, reimagining the industry. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 175 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy, produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hi, hello. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us today. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Two years ago, Pope Francis canonized John Henry Newman, English theologian, scholar, and poet. Saint Newman was instrumental in the founding of the Catholic University of Ireland in 1854, which in time evolved into University College Dublin, today the largest university in Ireland. I had the opportunity to interview Stephen Warner, founder of the Notre Dame Folk Choir, who attended the canonization of St. Newman in Rome in 2019. This replay episode is a great one, highlighting the ways that John Henry Newman can still influence our church today. Not only that, it's a great episode to hear as we prepare for All Saints Day. Enjoy. Today on the podcast, we ask Stephen, what are the cultural differences between the church and Ireland and in the United States? And how does St. John Henry Newman still lead and guide the faithful to this day? Today, we will explore Steve's experiences in the church and how we can bring those experiences to our own churches in ministry. Steve joins us today, very early in the morning, from Dublin, Ireland. 
I'm so glad to be talking to you right now. Thank you so much for talking with me all the way from Ireland. I should say before we start, should I call you Stephen or should I call you Steve? Well, thank you very much, Amanda, and good morning. And this is a, a great um, act of uh, servitude on your part to NPM because I know you're talking to me at 6 a.m. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's the mild-mannered hour of 11 a.m. here in, in Dublin right now. And what to call me? I mean, I've been called worse than Steve or Steven in my life. Um, <laughs> but um, this is really interesting because in America, everybody called me Steve. And in Ireland, and it's not because they're overly formal, but they just call me Steven. So it's one of those many things that um, when you're in a new land, you take on the, um, the sort of the um, attributes of that given country. So more people in Ireland call me Steven. So you can do whatever you wish. Okay. Realizing that you're on air. Yes. So, well, yeah, I think uh, I'll stick. I'll stick with Stephen or Steve, you know, but uh, I won't do mm -hmm. anything too incriminating. There but, you go. <laughs> oh, Steve. So it's so nice to hear from you. So for for those of you who don't know, of course, I mean, who who doesn't know? I don't know. But of course, Steve, you were involved with Notre Dame for the vast majority of your career. But now you are in Dublin. Of course, you're living in Ireland. Uh, what are you doing now in Ireland? Well. First of all, it needs to be said that I actually still am involved with the University of Notre hmm. Dame. Mm -hmm. um, so I, um, in fact, one of the big one of the big misconceptions when I came over here was that I was going to come over here and actually work um, for the Archdiocese of Dublin, which was not the case. I'm still employed by the University of Notre Dame. I merely switched departments, so I moved from the Office of Campus Ministry to the Office of Mission Engagement and Church Affairs. Um, which was a wonderful thing for me because being in campus ministry was an amazing, amazing stint in my life. And it was a 35-year uh, journey working with college students. That's a long time to be in one, in one place. And so to be able to continue to serve Our Ladies University, but to do so in a land that I had been visiting since 1988, um, actually 1987, um, was a tremendous gift. Um, a great opportunity to be able to do that. So I still now work for the University of Notre Dame as the associate director of the Newman, the Notre Dame Newman Center. There it is, Notre Dame, Notre Dame on both sides of the Atlantic. So Notre Dame uh, Newman Center for Faith and Reason on St. Stephen's Green, Dublin 2 on the south side of the Liffey. Hmm, great. Yeah. So you just mentioned, too, you work for the Newman Center. So, of course, the canonization of John Henry Newman just recently must have meant a lot to you. Eight days ago. Um, and I had never been to a canonization liturgy in Rome. Um, it was, I just have to say, and I know that gets this, this term gets overused by college students all the time, but it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, 60 to 70,000 people in St. Peter's Square, and they were from all over the world. They were from India, they were from Brazil, uh, they were from Ireland, they were from England, they were from the United States. And um, one of the really amazing things was that the English contingent was actually led by the Prince of Wales, um, who was to be, at some point, the leader of the Anglican Church. Um, it was really an un unbelievable thing. And, and later on in, in our little discussion, I want to actually point out some things that, um, that Prince Charles said um, in the Vatican um, newspaper, which are just really inspiring words. There are a lot of inspiring words that got said over the last couple of weeks. But to be at, at the Vatican and to experience a liturgy of, um, of that um, magnitude 
Um, they had an amazing string quartet or uh, brass brass ensemble, children's choir, adult choir. All of those were in the Vatican, and they were they were um, wired in to St. Peter's Square. Uh, it was just an amazing thing to think about, even logistics-wise. I don't know where's the last liturgy that you went to where tens of thousands of people received communion, but everything just flowed. It flowed beautifully, and I was really struck by it. It's funny that you say that because I was very impressed by the logistics when I went to World Youth Day in 2005 for that same mm. exact reason. I mean, yeah. um, when I was in the field, literally a field, I was with 1.2 million other Catholics, and yet somehow we all received communion. I mean, who who plans such logistics? I'm very impressed. Isn't um, it amazing? It really, for all of us who work in liturgy, and we are the ones... These are like we spend a week of sleepless nights thinking about all these sort of things, you know, but there is something about watching it all come together beautifully, the flow of the liturgy, the great music that was done. I will say this, um, my one disappointment about the papal liturgy, and it is a complimentary thing, there was this wonderful booklet that they gave to all of us. It was filled with all the music that we were supposed to sing. But um, there was clearly some original music that was done. For instance, they did a new setting of the famous Newman poem, Lead Kindly Light, and they set it in Italian, and it was gorgeous. Oh, wow. But I don't know how to get hold of it. Ah. <laughs> there is no credits in it. Um, Conducimi tu, a luce, luce gentile. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, um, but who wrote it? Where's the credits? Uh, where's all that copyright stuff? <laughs> and um, So anyway, whoever wrote that stuff, I just gotta say hats off to the composer. Um, because it was beautifully done and uh, an encouragement to the Vatican that for us uh, us that are musical pilgrims, we want to know how to get hold of this stuff. That's so, right. So if anyone's listening yeah. to this that has a connection, maybe any USCCB people listening to this that has a connection there, please let us know. You yeah, can... you write to me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, that's wonderful. So, okay, I'm sure you, you could talk about this just alone for the next 20 minutes, but I mean, St. John Henry Newman, I mean... Of course, he has, in some ways, of course, an initial impact in what you're doing because simply because you're working in the Newman Center. But I mean, how did is there any impact that you can note that St. John Henry Newman had in your life or in your ministry? Well, the very first encounter that I had um, was, as I would every morning say um, my morning prayers out of that um, simple, beautiful book, Morning and Evening Prayer. It's a condensed version, not the, the four volumes. And in the back of it, was an appendix. And in that appendix was a whole series of beautiful poems that was there for sort of supplementary lexio. And that's where I came across Lee Kindly Light. Um, as a musician, and I'm sure I speak for many other musicians, composers that are um, that would be um, drawn in this direction, when you read a text and it just simply grabs your heart, the thing you wanna do is put that to music. And um, that, that text, um, along with another text from many years ago for me, which was Make of Our Hands a Throne So As to Receive Your King, which is the text from Cyril of Jerusalem. Lee Kindly Light was another one that just kind of grabbed me and said, um, you really need to play with this musically if you can, as a way um, to embrace your own honor um, and your own um, sense of appreciation for the words that were there. So my first, um, my first encounter with John Newman was through the Kindly Light, through the poem. 
But then the more that I started reading him and the more that I realized, um, first of all, how he suffered here in Ireland. Many people don't realize he started um, the first university here, um, the university, Catholic University of Ireland, which went on to become UCD, University College Dublin. But he was a failure. Many, many would uh, look at him and exalt the sainthood, but that man suffered. Um, he lost most of his friends when he converted to Catholicism at the height of the Oxford movement in England. And then when he came over to Ireland, he was not Irish. He was a Brit. And so when he came over here, most people, including the people that got him over here in the first place, didn't give him the license or the, the, um, the tools that he needed to be able to do what they brought him over here to do. So after about five years of working intently and basically creating the foundation for both university church and for um, the foundation for um, the Catholic University, he went back um, to Birmingham. And, um, but he had planted deep, deep seeds, and those had gone on to become now um, one of the largest, if not the largest, university in the Republic of Ireland. So um, I've watched him, I've studied him um, from afar, read his, his writings, but also read of other people's take on him. And it really is incredible when you think about, if you look at some of the great polarizations that are going on, um, both in the United States of America right now politically and in Great Britain politically, here, um, here are some words from uh, Prince Charles. This is what he says. Um, John, Hart, John Henry Newman, as an example uh, of a harmonizer of differences, of inclusivity and respect, his voice is needed more than ever. Um, I find this really amazing um, when he would be um, when he would be underlining the fact that we need to dialogue and we need to celebrate each other's differences. This is something else that he writes, and this is something that I can really um, um, resonate with. Um, I'm taking this now from the tablet um, from Great Britain. Um, and I quote, recalling the climax of Newman's famous spiritual poem, The Dream of Gerontius, when the soul glimpses the harmony of the divine vision. Prince Charles writes, harmony requires difference. Isn't that an amazing insight? I love harmony, it. Harmony requires difference. The concept rests at the very heart of Christian theology and the concept of the Trinity. This re revelation of the Trinity the Prince of Wales says, shows that difference is not to be feared. This is Prince Charles commenting on Newman. I, I just find this to be, as a musician and as a theologian, absolutely fascinating. Um, he goes on to write, in the image of divine harmony, which Newman expressed so eloquently, we can see how ultimately, as we follow with sincerity and courage, the different paths to which conscience calls us, all our divisions can lead to a greater understanding and all our ways can find a common home. Boy, Amanda, if that's not a, a message for where we are in terms of the massive stalemates that we're looking at um, on both sides of the Atlantic right now, I'd say that Newman is a voice and a saint for our time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. You're, Steve, you're, you're going to have to send me that text because that I, I think we can all read that several times over to get more from, from what you just said. I mean, mm. oh, wow. That's fantastic. Well, so, yeah. so I think it's very easy to say that, you know, St. Saint, St. John Henry Newman has had a profound effect in so many ways too. And in so many, well, let's just say cultural differences, just like what you alluded to right now. 
Sure. Mm -hmm. I'd say this as well. Um, I mean, this is uh, there was a section from Lead Kindly Light that my wife and I sort of adopted as a daily mantra. Um, when this job became open to me, um, it was in the midst of, if you can believe it or not, the 35-year alumni reunion weekend of the Notre Dame Folk Choir. Hmm. So I couldn't say a word to anybody about it. Literally, my life was in a Cuisinart. It was being turned upside down, <laughs> and I couldn't say a word to anybody. And the mantra that my wife Michelle and I kept going back to over and over again was a very quick short line from Lee Connie Light, and the, that phrase is, one step enough for me. We had to sell our home, we had to sell our cars, we had to go through all the stuff to literally jump off a cliff and come over here to Ireland. And doing that, you could only, you literally could only do it by doing it one step at a time. And we had to do that within a matter of about three months. So um, that's why the mantra, one step enough for me, became absolutely critical for the two of us in terms of our, if you will, our, our ministerial and theological sanity. So Newman is not just this sort of pie in the sky, great poet, great philosopher, great writer. But for us, I'd say um, we're just anchored to the words of the man, and we had to be. It's 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 very interesting too because you, you don't know this about me, and this is this is very interesting. I actually very much love Lead Kindly Light as well, both as a text, but also your setting from the Notre Dame Folkware. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, one time I was stuck in a snowstorm in Pennsylvania, up in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and I had just been starting to teach the song to my choir, and we were stuck in a whiteout. We were in rural Pennsylvania where there were no streetlights on the highway, and we were we couldn't see any. Literally, we were driving five miles an hour, and whenever yeah, whiteout, yeah, whiteout. you couldn't yeah. you couldn't see anything, and so we were terrified, and so my my friend who was driving she she yells to me play pandora play catholic radio play 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 david haas radio play anything and so we're just frantically trying to find a song and i just grabbed my computer and i put in my choir playlist and the first song that was on there was lead kindly light and that exact line one step enough for me was what we just kept saying over and over again because that's really all that's all we could barely see um, in order to just make sure that no one hit us from behind because no no one could see. So anyway, about 45 minutes later, we made it through the clearing. But ever since then, I always tell that snowstorm story and say, all you really need is one step enough for you to my choir. So it's so funny that you feel connected yeah. to that line too. Yeah, it is, it's, um, it's quite profound. And you know, as people are now looking at, and this is one of the great things about canonization, is people are looking more deeply into his life and seeing that his life was riddled with insecurities and with failures and such. And um, this is an opportunity for everybody to say, well, isn't that just like our own lives? And look at what he, um, he as somebody, he would never have wanted to claim sainthood, um, resisted it when people suggested it to him. And yet um, here he is being held up as an example. And that's a real comfort to us, I think, to know that this person who asked, had his own struggles, had his own failures, had um, many um, betrayals as well, mm -hmm. that um, he took it one step at a time. And that's a real encouragement for all of us, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I will. I'll also say this, um, everybody points to lead kindly light, 
But there's another poem of his which is really, really beautiful. And that also has been set to music, I think, by a few people, including me. And that's the text, May the Lord Support Us All the Days of Our Life. Mm, yes. Um, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous text, and it deserves to be celebrated as much as Lee Kindly Light. Because um, there, there's a sense of it, it's almost like a vesper um, a vesper aura around it, where you're looking at things at the at the sunset time of day, or even um, when your mind is at that point spiritually at, uh, at some point in the day. There's a real piece about that text, and so we go back to that often as well around here, so that um, that we can be focused on the whole beauty of the many things that he wrote. And another one, um, which is it's not known much in in America, this beautiful hymn. But it's the hymn, Praise to the Holiest, um, which is an amazing hymn. And I never actually heard the hymn until I came to Ireland. So that's become uh, sort of a, a choral anthem for us here at University Church, again, based on the writings of John Newman. Cool. I wrote all those down. We'll definitely yeah. look them up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So you, you mentioned Ireland. I'd like to talk a little mm. bit about Ireland, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, so... Of course, you, you have spent now most of your life in the United States, but like you said, you've been traveling to Ireland for 30 years and you've been living there for several. So you've seen both sides culturally. So have you had any reflections on how America perceives Ireland, like culturally, musically, ecclesially, versus what really is the reality that you've had once since you've lived there? Yeah, Um I would say that's a profound question, and we could probably do, a, and if you want to, we can, a second interview on something like that. Um, I would say um, that when, this is the image that, that Francis used, that when you go to a place, you want to smell like the sheep. And um, I think we've jumped in. Um, my wife and I now, we're heading into year four here. But having brought my choirs over every two to four years since 1988, you get a real sense of some of the, the depth and length and breadth of the country. Um, this I'll say, um, one of the biggest reasons why I left um, the campus on South Bend's um, in, in Northern Indiana and came over here. Um, you know how people give you um, like a little quote or something, and it kind of either goes up on your bulletin board or it goes into the bulletin board of your consciousness or something, and it becomes a sort of pole star for you. Mm -hmm. I've had those experiences. I don't know if you have or not. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, I have. So um, early on in my career as a campus minister, this would have been way back in the early 80s, um, one of my priest friends, who was a, himself a missionary, uh, gave me a quote, and it went up on my bulletin board and then simply became part of my consciousness. And the quote is this. A missionary goes to a place when he is needed but not wanted and leaves a place when he is wanted but not needed. Now, that had a profound effect on me um, in terms of my decision-making to come over here. And it filters into, um, I'm kind of dancing around your question right now, but I'll get to the heart of it. Um, it, it filters into why um, the move was made in the first place. Um, I'd been at Notre Dame for 35 years. The folk choir had an endowment associated with it. They had an octavo series created. They were well known. Um, clearly, I was not needed there anymore. I was wanted, but I was not needed there. I came over to University Church here in Dublin, and um, 
I inherited a choir of six to six or seven absolutely lovely um, uh, older folks, but most of them couldn't read music. Um, the gallery, the choir loft was filled with music that was covered with mold and dust and, um, nobody was singing. There were no, um, there were no hymnals in the pews. There were no, um, liturgical programs in the pews at all. So clearly the need is here. Um, the need was not back at Notre Dame. And so, um, inevitably, and I knew this coming over here that the, the, the things that could be done musically and liturgically in this country are desperately needed right now. Um, why do I say this to you? A lot of people have images of Ireland, I think, that are informed by certain perhaps Hollywood myths that are generated by priests in the um, image of Bing Crosby or um, the countryside, which looks more like the Quiet Man with John Wave, which is a rather Cro-Magnon movie, by the way. And I don't know if you've seen it. Mm -mm, um, no, I haven't. But the, the Quiet Man, which is this iconic movie um, by John Ford with um, John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. And you look at it, and the way that John Wayne is treating this woman, nowadays the man would be sued. But somehow we, <laughs> we, look, at the, we look at this, and it's like, well, this is charming. And it's like, no, it's not. He's dragging her across the field. And... Um, <laughs> But there's this sort of charm that says this is the land of leprechauns and we have gazillions of priests and um, and Ireland is much more complicated than that. Um, they don't eat corned beef and cabbage on St. Patrick's Day. In fact, if there's anything right now that I would be worried about in Ireland, it's the fact that um, the culture is moving away from calling March 17th St. Patrick's Day and calling it instead Patty's Day so that it's an opportunity, like what happened um, in New Orleans with Mardi Gras, it's an opportunity for a week of um, Bacchanalian um, activities to take place, and it's stripped of its sacred character. Um, that kind of thing, in terms of the yielding to secular ground, is one of the biggest issues that I think Ireland is facing right now. And it's facing it with a church that's really compromised. So. Um, laity are needed over here. Musicians are needed over here. A stunning, stirring um, repertoire is needed to be given into the hands and into the hearts of the faithful. All those things are desperately needed over there. And it breaks the sort of mold that you would think of that it's a charming place with leprechauns hiding under each tree. And um, it, it, that's all myth. Uh, now, true, true to some of the mythology of it, um, it's an, a nation of unbelievable musicianship, and it's a nation that hallows story and song. But to get that back into church um, after years of, um, of actually kind of being embarrassed for the faith, um, that's going to take a lot of work on the part of many people. When you think of how the Irish um, contributed to this faith landscape of America, both in terms of education and healthcare and ecclesiology, um, I think one of the things that I'm proudest about with the University of Notre Dame is that they're actually giving back to the, to the nation that helped build them. That's a really um, inspiring thing to me. That's beautiful. And that's yeah. true. That's, that's true. Yeah. Um, so anything that, you know, I, I would say for folks that have seen Darby O'Gill and the Little People or, or um, The Quiet Man, um, you know, they're part of the myth. Um, but the real Ireland that's here, um, especially the real ecclesial Ireland, is a church right now that is in desperate need of reinvention. 
So you're saying if anyone's listening and they would like to uh, maybe possibly work in Ireland, there, there there's a place for them. There, there's a possible space for them. I think there's a challenge even with infrastructure right now in Ireland to get the laity involved. But yes, I think the Irish church is beginning to realize it. And I actually think the Irish are incredibly um, strong at reinventing themselves. Um, there have been those who have commented on Newman and Ireland to say that this is the country of reinvention. And I think that's actually true. Um, and I also, uh, this is one thing that I've become more and more adamant about with the passing of years, and that is to uphold women in the church. I'm really fiercely devoted to that. And if you look at Ireland, who are their, who are their figures, the patron and the patroness? It's Patrick and it's Bridget. And um, this is not radical to say that whenever you see even the most, the most conservative of hagiographies for um, St. Bridget, what is she holding? In her right hand, the hand of power, she's holding a bishop's crozier. So I'm not going to go, I'm not going to push that any more beyond suggestion and imagination to say the image is there and the inspiration is there for women to have a, a leading role in um, the refabrication of the church here in Ireland. I'm deeply committed to that. That's wonderful. Oh my gosh, so that's very exciting. Especially coming from me, because I'm a woman, and that's very exciting to hear, too. Needs uh, to be. Needs <laughs> to be, yeah. Um, okay, so really, one, one more main question. So, of course, I like to try and end these podcast interviews with some type of nugget of wisdom or additional action, if you will, or something that our listeners can take for this, for the call to ministry right away. So is there a, a nugget of wisdom you found after being in music ministry in, in such wonderful, but also unique situations? I mean, of course, you were in a university setting in the United States and now working in Dublin. Is there anything that those who are working in ministry and listening can take and use right away in their ministry? Yeah, I guess what I'd say about that, um, this actually contributes um, or is part of the dialogue with my admiration for Newman as well. One of my oldest friends, and in fact a benefactor for, for the work at the University of Notre Dame, um, has said to me that one of the things that he admired most about the work of the folk choir was that it had a repertoire that was, a, that was able to touch people's hearts, hearts and souls. Now, that's very interesting because what was the Episcopal motto of John Henry Newman. It was, it is, cor ad cord lequitur, heart speaks to heart. If there's any nugget that I've taken, um, and it's probably um, a philosophy and a compass point for liturgical music, it is to aim for the pieces of music that touch people's hearts. Um, you can, I'm sure you can, Amanda, name for me songs, moments, like that snowstorm story, where a piece of music went right straight to your heart. Um, in my mind, that's the task of a liturgical music minister, is to create a repertoire that is constantly going to be touching people's hearts. I think people have um, a, a legitimate expectation to come to church so that their hearts can be converted. And that's one of the great gifts that Newman gives to us, is to note that conversion is an ongoing thing. It's a constant thing. And music is part of that conversion. So for me, the nugget would be, the Episcopal seal of John Henry Newman, cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. Find music and don't be ashamed or embarrassed to let that music have the power to touch people's hearts. 
we all need that in a, in a world right now that seems fractured um, and in so many ways. Um, that kind of healing and that kind of inspiration is deeply needed. Sometimes I feel our work in music ministry might be some of the only time where people experience that harmonization of differences, if you will, in, yeah. in, in the discord that we're experiencing in, like you said, both the United States and in, in Ireland and in Great Britain. Yeah. I mean, we're on the literally days away from a cliffhanger here with Brexit. What's going to happen with that? And what's going to happen with that fragile peace that's in Northern Ireland? We're living right now that's on our doorstep. Um, and I look back right now um, in terms of what's going on politically in the United States, and I'm just holding my breath because, I mean, we all have differences, um, but what's celebrated? Uh, our dollar bill says, e pluribus unum, out of the many come one. Um, and that isn't to say that you whitewash all of our differences, but um, this is this is the prophet, the, the prophetic note of John Henry Newman: um, inclusivity and respect, harmonizer of differences. These voices are needed more than ever. Mm -hmm. And what 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 a great what a great person to canonize at this point in our our history and at this point in the church as well. So it's I think that also the other nugget that people can take listening to this is to maybe spend more time with John Henry Newman's teachings and maybe see see where it speaks to them too. It's easy right now, especially because the, the internet is humming with all kinds of articles on him. And even um, the commentary, for instance, by the Archbishop of Canterbury and the fact that the delegation to um, Rome from England was led by uh, Prince Charles, you find these unbelievable um, these unbelievable stances of unity in the midst of crazy quarreling that's going on. I was just taken aback by the the um, the depth of meaning of having His Royal Highness be there for this sort of thing. So it was very it was very um, encouraging. Well, Steve, I feel like I could talk with you for another hour. <laughs> you are <laughs> you're such a wonderful storyteller and. You, you, you share such great insights and, you know, they're not just academic insights or experiential insights, but they're also pastoral insights. And I think, again, I think that that could be the balm that we need in ministry. So thank you again for taking the time to talk to me today in your, uh, in your morning. I appreciate it. And I, I hope we do have another episode so we can talk again about the cultural differences between uh, Ireland and the United States. I think that would be a big benefit to the listeners. Maybe coming up around St. Patrick's Day. I think we would be okay with that. That that there sounds go. good to us. All right. Well, again, Stephen, thank you so much. And uh, God bless you in your work. And thanks so much for all you do for ministry. Thank you. Once again, we'd like to thank Stephen for joining us today on the podcast and sharing his unique insights from across the pond. Still interested in continuing the conversation? Then here's your formation going forth for the week. Each week, we will offer you some type of continuing formation for the topic discussed on the episode. 
This week on your Formation Going Forth, we encourage you to head on over to ministrymonday.org and click on the show notes of this episode. Steve has provided excellent information on St. John Henry Newman, both educationally and spiritually. We encourage you to read it with your morning coffee this week. Lastly, we want to bring your attention to an important resource coming your way very soon. In just a few short weeks, we will honor St. Cecilia on her feast day, which is November 22nd. This year, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians celebrates the patron saint of music with an opportunity to pray and reflect. We are calling it St. Cecilia Day. The NPM National Office is providing a free resource for all pastoral musicians, regardless if you are an NPM member or not. This resource will help everyone reflect and pray on November 22nd, the Feast of St. Cecilia. We will be sending out a guided prayer worksheet for you to do alone or with a small group of others. It will be made for dialogue, whether that's with others or simply a dialogue between you and God. More information will be announced soon, but in the meantime, please save the date and plan to participate in St. Cecilia Day on November 22nd of this year. The recording of Lead Kindly Light was produced by WLP, World Library Publications, and the recording of Praise to the Holiest was produced by the Diocese of Leeds and Herald Audio Productions. Today's Ministry Monday episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's all for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back next Monday.